Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Welcome to Exploring Missions, connecting mission needs with those equipped by God to meet those needs across the world or across town. And now the host of Exploring Missions, Bert Harper. Can disasters, difficulties, viruses be an opportunity for missions? We want to talk a little bit about that today on Exploring Missions. This is Bert Harper along with Nathan Harper. Nathan, uh, we have some biblical evidence that it can be opportunities, can it? Yeah, absolutely. I was listening to the song just this morning, and it, uh, one of the lines said that God paints on a dark canvas. He takes the, <laughs> the darkness and the disaster and crisis, and he shines his light. And he uses us to do it. One person he used in the Old Testament, familiar story for many of us, is the book of Nehemiah and that story. But let's just real quickly jump into Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 3, when Nehemiah received a report from his brothers in Jerusalem. It says, verse 3, They said to me, The remnant in the province who survived the exile are in great trouble and disgrace. Jerusalem's wall has been broken down, and its gates have been burned. So just that news right there would burden Nehemiah greatly. He was deeply distressed because of hearing this news. Set him to pray, and didn't yeah, it? He prayed. He would, he would be fasting. And he would, in that time, as in seeking the Lord, would start developing a plan. Part of that plan inc- included sharing that uh, with King Artaxerxes. This is where Nehemiah was in exile, serving in the palace in the, as the cupbearer to the king. God had put him uh, you know, providentially in that position to be able to ask for assistance. So that's in Nehemiah 2, verse 3. And the king had already said, why are, you, why are you looking so upset? And he replied to the king, May the king live forever. Why should I not be sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And, of course, God would give grace and favor and the king would agree to help and send resources to rebuild the walls. You know, we know the rest of the story, but interesting that crisis, you know, is already ongoing, but Nehemiah heard about it. And that's what God does when we hear about a need, sometimes a critical need, sometimes an ongoing need. When we hear about that need, it's an invitation for us as followers of Jesus, as the church, as people sent out on mission. It's our invitation to join God in what he's doing to meet that need and to uh, rebuild the walls or whatever that might be a metaphor uh, for. So, you know, that invitation to join God, what do we do first? We pray and we fast. But then we also have a little bit of a plan going forward. You know, we, don't, we can't just go in there blind, right? But then also a third thing I would say is we have to ask for help. We recruit some help. Because God gives us a, a burden for a, a task, and it's going to be too big for us to do alone. We have to, have, we have to have the whole body working together. You know, opportunity like that come, 
And when Katrina, Hurricane Katrina, hit the Gulf Coast and devastated it beyond measure, Steve Tiber had a dream. And out of that dream came eight days of hope. And they're one of our ministering partners that go into all parts of the United States and help rebuild the walls that have fallen, the fires that have been destroyed, the wind is blown down. What an opportunity. And people have joined that. They have that opportunity. I think of another partner, Samaritan's Purse. Just recently in the virus, what all has been going on, being able to set up mobile hospitals with nurses and doctors to minister and bless them. Out of difficulty, a disaster, you know, virus, God's people have an opportunity they would not have at any other time. That's really when people are watching. When everything's going your way, they're like Job. Who wouldn't serve God? Job hadn't got anything to complain about. But when those difficulties came, Job stayed with God. We want to stay with God during difficult times, but more than that, we want to be on mission for God during those difficult times. I think you'll enjoy this interview that I'm doing with an individual that came out of difficulty. God blessed him, but then God sent him with some help to a place of difficulty. Our guest today on Exploring Missions is William Levi, and this is a return visit. Two years ago, I met William here in Nashville, Tennessee, at the National Religious Broadcasters Meeting, and we were able to interview him. We've been able to communicate with him later, and he's back this year, and when I saw his booth, I knew immediately that I wanted him on the radio on Exploring Missions again. Welcome, William. Thank you, uh, Brother Bert, uh, right? Yes, that's it. At uh, at the Family Radio, I'm honored and privileged to be here and to share with your audience the plight of the Christians and the Pascuity Church in Sudan, South Sudan proper now, after the uh, Islamic persecution that has taken a toll on the community for 50 years. Uh, but we got independent in 2011, so majority of the people who are in exile, who survived the exile, came back. Uh, but in the end, we also have a national crisis that ensued in 2013 that has continued into 2016. Our base was actually uh, kind of our base was disbanded almost because people ran back to the to exile. But what kept us there is the work of God. I was there with my wife and uh, seven children on the ground when the whole region collapsed under the weight of uh, insecurity and unrest in 2016. It was a very scary moment for my family and I, uh, but we were like, like Peter and the disciple in the boat, you know, uh, in the middle of the storm, not knowing exactly which direction to go. But as Peter, like, we just, like, walking on this type of water, and there we saw Christ, we saw Jesus, and he said, well, you want to come to me? Uh, you are safe. You come. So, we, in other words, we really uh, held tight to him, and he come this storm. Amen. He, he, he does that, doesn't he? Yes. Uh, <clears throat> at the most difficult yes. times in our lives, he's there. Yes. And it is awesome when we see him. I've been there when I did not know he was there. I knew he was there, but I did not see his hand. But when you see and know that God is doing that work and drawing you close to him, it is great. 
I want you to tell a little bit about uh, your story. You got you left South Sudan to come to America, and you got an education here. But God's had your heart still in South Sudan in the plight of the people, did he not? He, he did, and he has uh, done marvelous things. You know, the Bible says train a child the way they should grow. When they, will, they are old, they will not depart from that path. So that's really the gift that my parents had given me as a young boy growing up in the South Sudanese wilderness, uh, facing some persecution, uh, to have faith in Christ, to, to, to get saved, and to have a relation with, personal relationship with Jesus Christ and the living God. So in 1977, I came to the Lord. Uh, I took Christ as my Lord and Savior. And from that day on, my life has never been the, cha- the same because Jesus said well, he come to change and transform us and give us life, not only partial, but abundantly. But with that also, we read in Romans 5 that we're saved by grace, you know, through faith in Christ. And yet, we are also going to face tribulation. We are going to face trials and persecution. And in all of this, we are supposed to have character and hope. And hope doesn't disappoint us. So as growing up there, I came face to face with Islamic persecution. I was uh, tortured, beaten in 84 as the war broke out. Uh, Christians are being um, persecuted. And the only crimes that they believe in Jesus Christ. That was their crime. Uh, that was my crime, and that I have to recant my faith and become a Muslim if I was going to live. I say, well, no, uh, I will not. I will not succumb to Islam because there's no hope there. No. My Savior is alive. You know, he's, he's alive, and he lives. My Redeemer lives. And we, remember, Jesus said, if you deny me publicly in front of the, the, the heathens, I will deny you in front of my father. You know, and if you want to follow me, you bear your cross and follow me. I was beaten and put in prison, tortured. And I thought at one point that will be my end. Well, I want to ask, I won't stop you. How old were you at that point in your thought life? Uh, I, I was uh, 17. 17, 17 years of age. Yes. Okay. yes. And at that time, I was living in Jobak, the capital city, without my parents. But the, the uh, going to school at the time, but the, the point is that even without them at that point, I know I have the Lord because he's my internal father. And the countryside was basically going through the same thing. So I was kind of like basically depending on the Lord. And that was the instruction my parents gave me to stay in the Lord. And there I found a refuge. So as the war escalated, uh, but one part of the thing that I'm leaving behind is the title of the book. Yeah, he's got a book. Let me yeah. share uh, a yeah. book, and I just I I got it yesterday, yes. yeah. and I've read uh, parts of the book, and I've started. I can't wait to get the whole story. And that book is the Bible or the Acts. That's yes. the name of it. Right. So the name came about because at that time when people hate you and they despitefully use you and persecute you, take your code and all of that, basically in the flesh, how do we respond to such things? We have to hate them. We get bitter and angry. And then basically let's deploy the enemy so that we could not advance the Great Commission because we are filled with the bitterness against those we thought rightly so deserve it. But in the end, how do we fight the warfare? Because it's not physical. It's not even about people. It's this, the work of Satan. So that's when uh, I realized I have to forgive. I have forgiven not out of weakness, but out of the strength Jesus gave for all of us to forgive our enemy and to 
to love those who despise us and yet be able to proclaim the gospel. So uh, that's how I named the book, The Bible or the Acts. That means you choose the weapon of your warfare. And uh, the Hebrew 4, 12, I believe, say that the word of God is sharper than double a sword. It cuts through marrows and bone and is a weapon that we all need to fight. Well, warfare is no blood and flesh. You know, Ephesians chapter uh, 6, 10 speak of that. It's spiritual. It is prayer. It is the word. It is. It's the sword of the spirit. So that's how that came about. And your parents taught you that early. Oh, yes. Okay. Now, yes. I want to interrupt now. Remember where you are. And you're teaching that to your children. How many children do you have now? I do have eight children. Uh, one is on the way coming in June. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm excited about that because I told William I'm the ninth child of, of my mom and my dad. So, yes. And two of those children are with us today. And yes. I want you guys to speak and uh, share. Would you share your name and the meaning of your name? Um, I'm Yehuda Levi, and my name means full of praise. That comes, we say Judah. Yes. Full of praise. I believe you are, aren't you? I believe your dad and mom's raising you to be filled with praise. And I thank you that you're here. Well, your little sister's here as well. Would you come to the microphone, tell us your name and the meaning of your name? My name is Yuisha, and my name means... God is my inheritance. God is my inheritance. Every one of your children have Hebrew names. Yes. Every one of them. Take a moment. Tell us why. Well, because we are African Hebrews, we believe that uh, we came from the Levitical priest line, and a lot of Jews who end up in Africa. And basically, we just believe that um, that, that's, that is our line of uh, how the Lord brought us into right. the interior of Africa, but we are also we are believer in Yeshua, and therefore it's biblical to name our children to remember uh, that not just for us, but those who love the Lord. Yeah. You know, we are all, you know, our, our our surname is the Levi, right? That's Levi, which is basically the 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 priest line of you know according to the Old Testament, right. the, the role of the priests were given to the children of Aaron. And the travel heavy, but now when we read in uh, Peter, Second Peter, chapter two, verse ten, that those who believe in Yeshua also become priests. Yes. So we are all one Amen. household, big uh, priestly line, yes, inclusive of you and all believers in Jesus Christ. Amen. So uh, we have a, a messianic congregation, uh, modeled after the first century church. The book of Acts, where Jew and Gentiles one in Messiah worshiping the Lord, led by the Holy Spirit, and that's how the church has been growing since then. Amen. And it is an awesome opportunity yes. to have brothers and sisters around the world. Yes, as brothers, they're they're we're family. Absolutely. Well, I want you to continue. I just wanted since you brought that up about how your parents had instructed you and implanted that in your mind you have with your children and they they've been here in america but they've made their trips back to the to south sudan as well right absolutely i mean uh, uh, yehuda is uh, 11 year old he his first time coming to south sudan was in 2009 nine months after his birth uh he has been coming there ever since every year uh we skipped on one year 2010 but after that Every year we came. We were there last year. Yerusha is 
uh, eight, she has been there just as eight times because uh, or seven times because she just you know she turned one year the first time she go on the airport. So the thing though, as far as I'm trained, these children perhaps they can tell that little story too. They are all saved. They know the Lord. The thing is that um, I, you know, I will not be in their life forever. There will be a time they, we are not trying to like hide them from the world. We are trying to train them to prepare them for the world. To and Jesus said, the, you know, the real discipleship is, you know, it has to start in the home. You know, it right. start with the parents. So we're discipling these eight children so that when they grow up, they become eyewitnesses for the Great Commission. That's the whole reason of being alive. So I'm telling them the reason of being alive is to be witnesses for Jesus Christ to proclaim the good news, whether here in America or in South Sudan. Makes no difference. Exactly. Okay, so I thank you. Thank you for introducing yourselves, guys. Amen. I appreciate that so much. And Amen. I, William, I want you to continue your story and. I really want to get to the point of the operation, uh, you know, Nehemiah, yes. and what you're doing, and making sure we get that in. Because a radio tower, I want you to get to that. But start kind of where you were and go in that direction. I want our people to hear about what God has done through God's calling you to stay with South Sudan. Just because you were away and safe. God put it on your heart that he wasn't through with you in South Sudan, did he? I think he brought me here for a purpose uh, because of all the people that came here. I came here in 1988. I would have just simply just uh, forget South Sudan and not go back there. I came here on uh, religious uh, freedom. America is a country uh, built on Judeo-Christian uh, civilization. It's here. Religious freedom is a, a, allow for people to come and worship freely. That's how the founding fathers came to this. The pilgrims came here. So I was so privileged to be uh, to come to America. But in the end, being comfortable and think that I am now free, I could live here for whatever I want, was selling in. But one day, you know, I came here, I went to school, I worked full-time uh, and went to school full-time. I became an engineer, um, in manufacturing engineer in, from New Jersey, Institute of Technology. So in 1992, the burden uh, of the plight of the Christian in South Sudan began to wait on me because my father was killed by Muslim in 1987. My mother died in refugee camps. Most of my, all of my siblings are driven in exile. So here I was, and there was this young little girl, not from my village, but part of South Sudan. She was like about three, four years. Uh, so weak, a vulture was hovering over this child after his family was, her family was destroyed by, burned down to the ground. The vulture was going to eat the child. And there was skeleton remain all over, all over the, the, the country uh, of these dead bodies. You know, I broke in tears. And I look at myself. Why did God bring me here? And one day I opened the book of Nehemiah, 1993. I was reading the book of Nehemiah and how he was crying over Jerusalem and the state of the, the destruction while he was serving in the Babylonian captivity. He was living pretty well. I think he didn't have to go back to the Holy Land. So that was a challenge I received. And once I got out of that, is that God is saying, I want you to be a voice. Uh, there's Christian here, your brother and sister, they don't know what's going on. You have a testimony, you have something to share with the American church and take your message to the church because that's where you find your brothers and sisters. And I started the ministry 
I was still dealing with engineering, you know, grappling the idea that I will do these things, you know, simultaneously. But God's one day in 1996, three years later on, I just like Gideon, I say, Lord, I have the fleece now. Before, what do you want me to do? And he said, jump into this ministry in full faith. I will support you and your needs, but I want you to be a voice for the people back there. So that was how this ministry came about. At that time, I just want to interrupt again. Please. It's amazing, Nehemiah, and you're an engineer building a wall. God called an engineer to build that country back. I, I just, I love how God connects those dots, William. Go ahead. Amen. I just wanted to observe that. Yeah, so at, at that point, there wasn't even South Sudan. It was all Sudan under the Islamic control. And they were basically boasting that this country will be Islamic, whether we like it or not. Uh, so that was uh, uh, the, the trial we went through as a nation. So, but the people in exile in Uganda, in Kenya, refugees, some are IDP, internal displaced people. They have nowhere else to go. So we were helping with the resources to help the people. That went from 93 up to 2003. I met their mother uh, in my mission travel. We got married and we have our first baby. You met her. Yes. And uh, so we, we came home and came to Uganda to see the status of the refugees. And there from there, we were, we, we were so... Um, uh, determined to go to South Sudan. So we moved the ministry from my home village, from uh, the refugee camp to my home village where I grew up. Okay. So my life was brought in full cycle. Yes. And then from there, 2005, finally they God answered our prayer. The Islamic regime to, to the north was able to uh, to let go of the south, literally. Uh, and you know, we're in the grip of the Islamic oppression, and God free us. Uh, in 2011, we got independent, so we moved the ministry home. So what are we doing with this ministry there? To rebuild the country just like in the day of Nehemiah. From the ground up, through repentance and forgiveness, I pray for the sin of my own father's house. Whatever we committed before the Lord, may he forgive my father's house. Sounds like Nehemiah, right? Exactly. A amen. May he yes. forgive the country for the sin we have uh, inflicted on ourselves. Um, and for forgetting God and forgetting the law of God. So God literally answered prayer, and it was very difficult to come down there to start everything from scratch. But we start with first rebuilding the family, rebuilding the church, and rebuilding the community, taking one person at a time. We start with uh, family discipleship, raising up the family to stand up for God. And there come the church leaders. You need pastors who can be grounded in the Word of God to teach the Word of God. You need uh, young people to learn to honor and obey their parents. These people come from refugee camps. Their mindset is so warped. Uh, the, 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 the UN basically create social uh, engineering, you know, relief dependency where these people come home and they don't want to work. So we have to give them tools to work. We have to, again, say, you have the land now. It's like honey and milk. You need to work, work the, the land. land. So that brought us to agricultural development. We have farmlands. We are giving tools to people to work. And then people need water. So now we, we, we have to get clean water to the entire population. So in our area, so we have wells that are supplying water to at least 2,000 people in a village at a time. We have about four wells that we drilled. And then medicine. So we have field clinics yeah. helping people. And more importantly, to get the message to the larger audience. So we got an Nehemiah trumpet call, 97.3 FM. 
radio Here, station. Say that again. This is so important. You're on radio, and you got your radio yes. there in South Sudan. Yes, we got a radio. First, how we started, Brother Bird, it was on the wheel. It was mounted on a Land Cruiser, <laughs> driving in the bushes of South Sudan, avoiding Islamic, uh, Islamic destruction because they were bombing everything developmental they can see. But we said we're going to be one step ahead of, of them, <laughs> and we were just driving Land Cruiser, uh, 15 miles away, we get the mask up, we broadcast, we bro- proclaim the gospel, and we move somewhere. Amen. Finally, some American brother, you know, even in the middle, you interview me back right. then. Right, yes. So, uh, and then the war ended to say, we got to have a tower. So we got 300 foot tower on top of 2,800 feet mountain. <laughs> so, I, I, I'm like a dreamer, man. <laughs> I know you are. And I met I met the man yesterday that helped with yes. getting that tower there. And yes. God is doing a great work. Now, yes. we're talking about family. Yes. We're talking about the agriculture. Yes. We're talking about the church now. And, and God is rebuilding South Sudan. Yes, absolutely. You would think that. Um, okay, the, okay, let's talk about the radio station yet. The radio station... It's is is now all paid for. Thank God. Yeah. Now we just have to maintain it. We have to raise people with a heart. So, so young people that will come from exile now they find some job to do. They, I said this is this is it. The American church has given you a radio station. You got to maintain it, <laughs> and you have to do it because you know nobody. That's why I'm here. They're there. Yeah. So today the radio is broadcasting covering about eighty miles around. Yeah. Both Uganda and South Sudan. Right on the border. Right on that border. Now, in 2016, this was 2004 up to 2016, we thought everything's okay. God is saying, I'm going to send you through another trials. You are going to go through fire, William, and all of the ministry and all of South Sudan. So the, the war, internal conflict, no longer with the north, but south against south. Right. And <clears throat> broke out. Now what? Everything we have worked for for the past 12 years was at the verge of Collapsing. Unraveling. Yeah. So we were faced with fleeing the country. And, w- of course, the looting will ensue. Everything will be destroyed. We knew for that a fact. So I look at the leadership on the ground and uh, at ourselves. I said and pray. I said, God, I'm not leaving this land. And I think he's the one telling me because I have no power to tell him anything. He knows everything. <laughs> but he was giving me the courage, the faith to withstand yes. the pressure. So that's why we we rode the storm from 2016 to 2020 today. The country has been going through turbulence. Right. But in the midst of that, the ministry grew more stronger than when there was no even conflict. Yeah. That's God how is God good. does it. Amen. William, uh, if I don't see you again, we'll be back here in two years. We'll see you again, and we want an update from there. What you have done is just a blessing beyond measure. And I know our people uh, are wanting to pray for you. But if they want to be a part of Nehemiah Project, you've got a website. Yes. And it is operationsnehemiah.org. And you can find out what William is doing with his family. And we want to be praying for you and asking God to bless you. Thank you for bringing your two children with you. Now, I've met three out of the eight and one to come. So uh, I expect in two years to meet some more. If that's a good uh, deal. Absolutely. Uh, and one, one, of, one of these days, yes. even if I was I were not there, I would like them to do greater things than I've done. So you still will interview them individually and representing the work. 
Amen. My my hope. Sharing it, handing off that yes. baton to the yes. next generation. You're right. Thank you guys for being with us today. Thank you for listening to Exploring Missions, and I pray God would bless you as we reach around the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ.